The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Psalm 77. How many of you, if you're ever to be honest, by just simply lifting up your hand, you'd say, Pastor Nick, there's been a time in my life where I forgot something and it got me in a whole lot of trouble. Anybody, anybody honest enough? Okay, a few people, all right. I can remember um, a few years ago, right after the birth of our first son, Nicholas, uh, we had just gotten home. We'd been home from the hospital probably less than 24 hours. And, you know, I was kind of in this, I was just overwhelmed, to be honest with you. I just saw for the first time my wife give birth and I was just like, you are Wonder Woman. You are amazing. That's incredible. So to all of you moms that have given birth out there, my, I mean, my hat's off to you. That's, I was incredible, and I was overwhelmed. I was holding my son, and, you know, I, I would tell you that I was tired. I don't know why I was tired. I'm not the one that did anything. Um, but we were home, and we were tired, and she was at home getting rest, and I had gone to the pharmacy to pick up some of her medication for her to kind of help as she was recovering, and I got into the line, and I said, I'm here to pick up a prescription for Sarah Minerva, and the pharmacist just kind of looked at me funny like, you're not a Sarah, and I'm like, well, I guess that's a good thing, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm here picking it up for my wife, you know, she's at home recovering, we just had her first baby, trying to be a good husband, you know, and he was like, okay, what's, uh, what's her date of birth? And I was like, uh, uh, June 2nd, and he was like, nope. And I was like, uh, June 1st? He's like, dude, you're digging yourself deeper. And I was like, June 4th. It's got to be June 4th. And he's like, yeah, I gave you a prescription. He's like, dude, you need to know your wife's birthday. And so in case you're wondering, my wife's birthday is June 4th. It's in two weeks. She likes chocolate. She likes flowers. She likes Starbucks and the Pittsburgh Steelers, all right? I got it down, yeah. But sometimes when we forget stuff, it gets us in trouble, doesn't it? And I think the same is true when we forget who God is when we forget what God has done for us, oftentimes that'll lead us to obstacles that we wouldn't have to otherwise face. And the theme that we're going to see emerging from Psalm 77 this morning is that remembering past works, remembering past wonders, ignites our hearts with future faith. Let's stand if you're physically able as we read the Word of God. Psalm 77, we're going to look at verses 11 through verses number 20, but I just want to read verses number 11 and 12 this morning as we get started. The Bible says in verse number 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. On your way in, you should have received a service program. On the inside, there's an outline that you can use as we study God's word together this morning. Also, if you're visiting, on the inside of that welcome guide, there's a little connection card that you can fill out just to let us know that you're here with us today. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at a message entitled Living in Remembrance. Father, we thank you. For all that you have done to earn and win our spiritual freedom. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get so busy in our lives that we don't take time to forget your wonders and we don't take time to forget your works. And Lord, we just forget how awesome you are. And I pray that your Holy Spirit over these next few moments would just remind us of that truth. Lord, I know my words are going to fall short of how wonderful and how grand and how marvelous you are. But I pray that your Spirit would do in our hearts what my simple words cannot and that we would walk away just being overwhelmed with your goodness and your greatness towards us. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, like we just saw in the video, uh, Memorial Day was established in America to, so that we as Americans could set aside time to remember uh, the great sacrifice that was prayed, paid for our freedom. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to get so just caught up in enjoying our freedom and enjoying all, that, all the blessings that we have as Americans that we forget the sacrifice that was given so that we could experience that freedom. And I think we see a similar theme uh, kind of appearing 
throughout Scripture. Uh, throughout Scripture, God gives his people holidays and festivals to remember the works that he has done for them. In the Old Testament, there were these festivals, and there was this, the Passover celebrations and all these feasts that God instituted so that the nation of Israel could just pause in their schedule and they could remember, look at what God has done for us. Look at how great God has been to us in our past, and that would then motivate them to live for him and ignite their heart full of faith. Uh, in the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus giving the local church ordinances, uh, baptism, and communion to remember and celebrate his sacrifice that he has given for us. And throughout the Bible, we see people like Asaph. He's the author of this psalm. He's a worship leader in ancient Israel. We see people setting aside time to intentionally remember who God was. And I think uh, the reason we have to be intentional about it is because we as humans, we're so prone to forget, aren't we? We're so prone to forget God's goodness. In fact, John Piper said it this way. He said, one of the great enemies of hope is forgetting God's promises. And I think as Christians, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to have our hearts stirred with what God is, it starts by remembering with what he has done. So the theme that we're going to see emerging in our text and throughout our message this morning is that remembering past wonders, it ignites future faith. If we're going to grow in our walk with God, if our hearts are going to be stirred with faith, if we're going to experience hope in difficulties and faith in uncertain times, it starts by consciously and intentionally remembering what God has done and remembering who God is. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, what, we, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so this morning, let's allow the meditation of Asaph to inform how we remember God. He's going he's gonna to showcase four different attributes and characteristics and works of God. And the first one, uh, the first showcase about God, he's, he's going to say, let's remember God's holiness. Remember God's holiness. Let's read verse number 13. The Bible says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You say, okay, we're supposed to remember God's holiness. Pastor Nick, what's that verse have to do with holiness? I don't even see the word holiness in there. Pastor Nick, tell me, tell me what's up with that. Well, if you were to go to the Hebrew, and you are going to look at the word uh, sanctuary in verse 13, the Hebrew word for sanctuary there is the Hebrew word kodesh. It's kodesh. Now, that Hebrew word is translated several different ways throughout our English Old Testament. The primary way it's translated is the word holy. In fact, 262 times that Hebrew word kodesh is translated holy. Uh, 68 times it's translated as sanctuary. It was a metaphor for the holy of holy place in the temple, in the tabernacle, where the Spirit of God would dwell. Oftentimes it's translated as holiness or as hallowed or consecrated. So a literal way you could translate this verse from the original Hebrew would be, Thy way, O God, is holy. And Asaph, he's remembering the holiness of God. Now, oftentimes when we think about holiness, our minds instantly go to simply separating from things that are impure. And because that's bad, I want to stay away from it. And we, we equate that with holiness. But God's holiness is really so much more than just simply uh, not giving in to what's wrong, separating from things that are unclean. When we think about holiness, we need to think of the English word wholeness. That's actually where the, our English word holiness comes from. Holiness is a branch of that word wholeness. Holiness is the perfection of all that is good. So when Asaph is worshiping God and he's telling us to remember God's holiness, he's saying, remember, God is the perfection of all that is good. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that God's just this bigger, better version of ourselves who always does the right thing, right? 
We think if we're to put on a scale, God's like a 10 and we're like a 1. But the truth is, God is completely unique. You can't even put God on the same scale as we are because he is a perfection of all that's good. He is unique. There is nobody like God. That's why in this verse, when he worships God for his holiness, he says, Thy way, O God, is holiness. Who is as great a God as our God? So when we worship God for his holiness, it's more than just the fact that he is pure. It is but it's also the fact that God is unique and God is set apart and God is completely and totally different from all that we are. One pastor said it this way. He says, God is not merely a being with more intelligence or power than humans. He is totally different. That's why Asaph says, who is great like our God? The obvious answer is nobody. <laughs> Nobody's holy like our God. Nobody's unique as our God. Nobody is the perfect summation of all that is good like our God is. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 11 just starts worshiping God for his holiness. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how searchable are his judgments and how his ways are past finding out. He's saying we will never fully be able to comprehend God. Our human finite minds will never fully be able to get around who God is. And that is good news for us. That is why we can have hope and we can have confidence because nobody is like our God. Paul goes on to say, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Paul's like, we can't give God advice. He's, he's so far past. He's so far beyond. He's so much bigger. Who has known his mind? You can't, you can't know his mind. You can't give him advice. Who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? He's like, God doesn't know anybody. He's the perfect summation of all that is good for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul is meditating on God's uniqueness and God's holiness, he just, his heart bursts forth into worship. He's like, Lord, you get all the glory. You get all the honor. You get all the praise because you are totally and completely unique. He is the perfect, he is the perfection of all that is good. And because of that, we can trust him. You study the context of Hebrews, or excuse me, of Psalm 77, and you see they're going through some difficult times, but they have hope because God is holy. He is the perfection of all that is good. And remembering the fact that he is holy, remembering that he is wholly pure. He is holy, just, holy, loving, holy, merciful, holy, true. That'll stir up our hearts of faith because we will recognize, God, you're so awesome. You're so great. You're so grand. You're the perfect summation of all that is good. We can have complete and total confidence in God because God is holy. Remembering God's holiness, his uniqueness, that he is the perfection of all that is good will stir up our heart. It will ignite faith inside of us. The next attribute that we see Asaph worshiping God and bringing to his own remembrance is God's power. Remember God's power. Look at verse number 14 and then 16, 17, 18, and 19. Verse 14, he says, Thou art the great God that does wonders. You have declared thy strength among the people. Verse, verse 16, The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee, and they were afraid. He says, The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heavens. The lightnings lightened and shook the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. Asaph here, he's using this divine warrior imagery. He's declaring that cosmic upheaval accompanies God's presence and all of creation exalts in worship. When God shows up, the earth shakes. The clouds pour out rain. The lightning and the thunder, it strikes and it shakes the heavens. That is the power of our God when God comes on to the scene. 
This storm language depicts God's control over all of nature's forces. When you see powerful storms, you feel a little helpless. Our God is in control of that. When he speaks, the earth shakes. The, the depths of the water, they get scared. Recently, I went uh, on a trip up to Yosemite, and I hiked up to a place called Taft Point. I think we have a picture of it here. Uh, Taft Point, the elevation, is 7,500 feet above sea level. It's about 3,500 feet above the valley floor. So as I'm standing on that cliff, and I'm literally looking 3,500 feet down, you're, just, you're way up there, and you're kind of just, you're a little bit scared, right? Because you get that feeling in your legs when you get close to the edge of a cliff. But it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, I look to the one side, and I can see all of Yosemite Falls. It's like on the top ten list of waterfalls you have to see in the world. And then I look to the other side, and I can see El Capitan, and I can, like, do this to it, you know? It's just, you're just amazed at the beauty and the grandeur and the power of a place like that. And when I'm standing up there, and I'm thinking, God, my God spoke all of this into existence with a breath. He is so powerful. He just spoke a word and this place came into being. And whether you're standing on the mountain or you're standing at the edge of the ocean and you're looking out and the water just goes seemingly forever and you feel so small or you're standing on a mountain and you're seeing how big the world is and you feel so small, that feeling, it takes on a whole different uh, perspective for us as Christians because we know our God spoke all of this into existence. Our God has power over all of this. This was all created by him for his good pleasure. Part of the reason I like going to places like Yosemite is because I love the visible reminder of the power of God. And when in verse 19, Asaph, he's referring to Israel's possession. When he talks about the waters being parted, he's talking about Israel marching through the Red Sea. He's that God, we didn't see you, but your power was very clear. You were unseen yet present. When you go to places like the Grand Canyon or the ocean or Yosemite, and you see the power of God, you read. I encourage you, go home today and read Psalm 18. We don't have time to preach it, but it's an amazing psalm. And you see the power of God. You get a very clear picture of what he is capable of. There should be something in our hearts that just is filled with wonder and filled with awe and filled with this holy reverence that, whoa, that's my God. <laughs> he created all that. It should make us stop back and go, whoa. God, when you show up, the whole earth trembles. The whole earth shakes at your power, God. When he speaks, the forces of nature move. But you don't have to go to places like Yosemite or the Grand Canyon to personally experience the power of God. It's so much more than just controlling the forces of nature. Uh, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1. He's praying for the church of Ephesus. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, and get this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul is saying, I want you, church at Ephesus, I want you Christians to know that God's power is towards you. I want you, it's his prayer, that we would experience the power of God, the power of God that spoke the world into the existence, the power of his resurrection according to the working of his mighty power. Paul's like, I want you to experience that. I want his power to be real to you. The power of God towards us now is the great might that in, worked in Christ and raised Jesus from the dead. The power that rose Jesus from the dead when God rose Christ from the dead, that same power is working for you. God raised Jesus from the dead to never die again. The point is that the power of death is broken for all who are in Christ. Death has no power over you. 
The enemy of death is defeated. For Paul, the death of Christ was the death of death. Yes, we will still physically die, but the sting is removed. The poisonous event is now our pathway to paradise. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, you don't have a sting anymore. Death, you can't touch those of us who are in Christ. Paul's like, his power is amazing. And his power, that resurrection power, God is using that in your life. It raises us spiritually from the dead and given us life and faith. The power of God opened our blind eyes. It has conquered our rebellious wills. And it has created a new heart in us that loves God and loves people and delights in his word and delights to obey, delights to spend time with Jesus. That is the power of God working in your life. His power will guard us from the dominion of our indwelling sin. 1 Peter 1, 5 says, you are kept by the power of God. Sometimes you hear in this Christian lingo, Lord, put a hedge of protection around us. A hedge is just a bush that does nothing to declare the power of God. His power is what is guarding us, church. Do we believe that? We have his power. It guards you. It protects you. It gives you strength. The power of God that rose Christ from the dead is working on your behalf. Sometimes it's nice to have an inside connection, right? You have the power of God. It's the greatest inside connection that you could ever have. Do you believe that? So oftentimes when difficulties happen and hard circumstances come our way, we, we mull them over and over in our head and we get so overwhelmed and so, uh, and, and I fall into this all the time. I get so overwhelmed, I get so frustrated, I get so stressed and I forget the power of God is working on my behalf. The power of sin cannot touch those who are in Christ. There is no death anymore for those who are in Christ. The power of God is working on our behalf. Instead of mulling your bad circumstances over and over, meditate on the power of God. Let it so fill your heart that you can't do anything but just stop and praise God. God, your your power is working for me. Your power is protecting me. You got me in the palm of your hand and nobody can pluck me out. That is his resurrection power. When you feel scared and alone, remind yourself, God's power is with you. Uh, my, my sons, they're getting to that age where everything is scary, right? Especially at bedtime. I don't know if it's because it's dark or they just don't want to go to bed, but, you know, there's monsters everywhere, right? And one of the things Sarah and I will try to do with our kids when they're scared is we'll try to tell them, and I'll have them repeat this back to me. Hey, buddy, God is bigger. And I'll have them, they'll say, God, God is, is bigger. It's really cute when Michael says it. Bigger, you know, he just gets all excited. And I'll tell them, hey, bud, because God is bigger, you don't have to be afraid. And church, what Asaph, what the Holy Spirit is telling us is, because God is bigger, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to get overwhelmed. We don't have to always get stressed out because we have the power of God working on our behalf. Remember God's holiness. He's unique. You can move forward in confidence because nothing, there is nothing that is more powerful than him. Remember his holiness. Remember his power. But then third, remember God is our redemption. Look at verse 15. He says, though uh, thou hast with thine arm, that's again, thine arm, that's a metaphor for the power of God. It's like God is flexing his strength. Clearly, my arm does not do that justice. But God, but Asaph is saying, with thine arm, God, you redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Asaph is reminding himself, he's remembering how God saved him. God has saved his people. And that, that word there at the end, Selah, we don't know the exact definition, but throughout the Psalms, it's used as a device to cause the people worshiping to stop. 
It was like a pause in the music. And the point was to meditate on what was just said. So when Asaph says to remember your salvation, Selah, he's saying, let it sink in. God has saved you. Church, God has saved you. Stop and let that sink in for a moment. God has redeemed you with his power. God has saved you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to be punished and to die for your sins. We deserve the punishment of our sin. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve eternal separation from God forever in hell. But God said, no, I love you too much. Remember, God has redeemed us. Every ransomed man owes his salvation to the fact that during the days of his sinning, God kept the door of mercy open by refusing to accept any of his evil acts as final. God said, no, you don't have to face those consequences. I love you too much. I sent Jesus to die for you. For those of us who are in Christ, God has saved you. God has redeemed you. You were lost, but he found you. You were guilty, but he pardoned you. You were facing wrath, but he gave you his love. You were his enemy, but he made you his child. You were corrupt, but he made you holy. You were forsaken, but he chose you. You were spiritually dead, and he gave you life. You were running from him, but he never stopped pursuing you. Remember, God is your redemption. When we remember, God has saved me. That should just do something in our hearts that no matter what we're facing, we can rejoice, we can have hope. Because God has saved us. If I can trust God with my eternal state, if I can trust God to give me victory over sin, we can trust him with tomorrow. Remember, God has saved you. That's why Paul in Romans 8, he just starts worshiping. He's like, God has saved me. He's like, he's like I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, you are saved. Jesus conquered the power of Satan. He conquered darkness. And death has, in, he, in, his, in his death, he has died for our sins. In his death, Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sin. Remember your salvation. Remember, sin cannot touch you. That should cause us to, like Paul, just joyfully exclaim in worship. Remember your salvation. Uh, in college one time, I was having a bad day. And uh, that's, that's kind of silly because I had a lot of bad days in college. Um, but there's one particular day I was, I was just struggling. And apparently it was really obvious on my face that I was having a bad day. And I had a friend, he told me, hey, Nick, are you saved? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm saved. And he was like, then tell your face, man. <laughs> Here's the truth. Sometimes we need to do more than tell our face. We need to tell our heart. Hey, Nick, you're saved. And that'll affect my face. That, that, that'll affect everything else in my life. Remind yourself, remember God's salvation. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus wants to save you more than anything else. Jesus wants you to experience life in him. He wants to experience life, an abundant life. Jesus came to die for your sins. There's no sin that you could commit that is so great that you cannot be saved by the mercy and love of Jesus. I got to lead a guy to the Lord last week, and one of the things he kept saying was, I, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. And I was like, none of us are. That's why it's this amazing gift. He's like, I feel like I'm cheating God. And the truth is, yes, we're not good enough. Yes, we have horrible things in our past, but God's love is bigger. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, he loves you. And his blood can cover any and every sin. Accept him today. Uh, Romans 10 gives you this promise. He says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will 
be saved. It's a promise that he has given to you. He says, for with your heart man believes unto righteousness, and with your mouth confession is made known unto salvation. For scripture says, whosoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. Over and over again, this guy, I was talking with him, and he just kept saying, I just so much shame, there's so much guilt, I just don't know. And God gives us the promise that in him, there is no more shame. You can experience him. He takes care of the shame. He takes care of the guilt. He takes it all away. Paul goes on, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. He says in Christ, the blood of Christ covers all of us. He says the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If there's never been a moment where you place your faith in Jesus, stop running. He's chasing you. He loves you. He is pursuing you. Just let him save your soul. For those of us who are in Christ, we have placed our faith in him. Remember your salvation. This last, uh, this last week I posted uh, in our church Facebook group a list of all the things that God has done the moment we got saved. It's in the back of our spiritual formation primer. Go in there and read that. I've shared that with people and literally watched as people wept as they realized God has done so much for me. Remind yourself of your salvation. Remembering God has saved you will ignite your faith like nothing else. And if God can save you, if God can transform you from life to death, we can trust him with tomorrow. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's power. Remember God is our redemption. And then lastly, remember God is your shepherd. Look at verse number 20. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God promises to be our good shepherd. And like a good shepherd, he will take care of his sheep. Like the New Testament says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. God promises to take care of us. This past week, I had to go in and get my car smogged. Pretty routine, right? You live in California, got to get your registration renewed, got to get your car smogged. So I go in a Thursday afternoon. I go in around 4 o'clock to the mechanic, do the smog check. I'm thinking it's pretty routine. It takes about 20 or 30 minutes. They come back after the smog check. I'm expecting, okay, I'm going to sign the paperwork. You're going to send it to the DMV. I'm going to be on my way. And the mechanic's like, I got some bad news for you. Great. Your car didn't pass smog. Somewhere there's a gas leak. Okay, that was not what I was hoping for today. So I start talking to the mechanic, like, okay, give me best case, give me worst case scenarios, we're talking through it. And he's like, honestly, I wouldn't sweat it. It's probably just a leak in one of the hoses. Those hoses are cheap plastic, they break. Bring it in tomorrow, we'll get it fixed for you. No problem, be an easy fix. I'm like, okay, that's best case scenario, but I know how you mechanics work. Like, what's worst case scenario? I'm gonna need a fuel pump, right? And he's like, well, worst case scenario is you need a fuel tank. But he's like, I promise you, that's not it. Just bring it in tomorrow, we'll fix the hose. It'll be easy, you'll be on your way. I'm like, okay. So Friday morning, I bring it in to get diagnosed. All Friday morning, Sarah and I were praying, Lord, just let it be the host. Let it be best case scenario. Like, let it be an easy fix. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm preaching my message to myself as I'm praying. Lord, you're powerful. God, you saved me. God, fix my car, right? Just let it, just let it be the host. So I get a call Friday afternoon from the mechanic. Guess what it was? It was not the host. It was the fuel tank. It was literally the worst case scenario. And I'm like, great, Lord, that's not what I was praying for. Worst case scenario. So I'm talking to the mechanic, and he's telling me how much it's going to cost. He's like, don't worry. If you can't afford it, we can finance you. I'm like, this car is not worth financing, much less a stupid gas tank. It's a metal box, right? And so he's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm going to make some phone calls, right? Spurgeon said this. He said, no danger could hurt us when God commands us to enter it. God did not command my gas tank to break, but God in his sovereign will allowed it to. 
God let that happen. Okay, God, worst case scenario, this is, I'm just going to submit to this. You're sovereign. I'm going to trust you. Mechanic's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I'll call you back. I hung up. I started making my own phone calls. So first of all, I'm calling the dealer. I'm verifying. He says it's this. Does that really mean I need to uh, switch the gas tank? Yes. Okay. Does it really cost this much? Yes, that's how much it costs. Great. Thank you, Dodge. <laughs> Hang up the phone there. Now I'm calling all my mechanic buddies. Hey, hey, give me some options here. I called one friend. He's like, Pastor, do not let the mechanic touch your car. Bring it to me. He's like, I will get a gas tank for you, and I will fix it for you. And he told me the final amount. And it was like 90% less than what the mechanic was going to tell me. See, here's the truth. Even when life throws the worst case scenario at you, God is going to take care of you. I mean, it might not be a simple thing as like a call from a mechanic. It might be a call from the doctor. Worst case scenario for you might literally throw your whole life upside down. But because God is your good shepherd, he promises, I will take care of you. Psalm 23 outlines how God is our shepherd. And I think that psalm is so popular and we're so attracted to it and we're so drawn to it because we all hunger for such an authentic experience with God. And as David is speaking from his own personal experience, it makes, us more, it makes it more real to us, and it makes us want it even more. You see, in Psalm 23, we see, because God is our shepherd, we will not lack anything that we truly need. Because God is our shepherd, he will restore our soul and revive us when we seek him. Because God is our shepherd, he promises to direct us in his will. Because God is our shepherd, his presence in our lives will eliminate the need of fear and worry. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because he is with you. You do not have to fear. He promises that he will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Church, remember, God is your shepherd. God wants to take care of you. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's power. Remember your salvation. He is your redemption. And remember, God is your shepherd. We must actively work at remembering all that God has done for us. Now, functionally, how do we do that, right? All of us want our hearts to be ignited by faith. All of us want to live with the sense of wonder and amazement and reverence for how awesome and powerful God is. Yeah, but if you're like me, how often do you just simply forget, right? Like, not just forgetting your wife's birthday like a bozo. You're literally forgetting the God of the universe is working his power on your behalf. What I like to do in conclusion is I like to give us several ways we can fight spiritual forgetfulness. And I say the word fight because some days... To remember God's goodness, it feels like a spiritual battle. You know, that's just not a colorful word we throw out there. Like, this has been one of those weeks for me where it's like, it's a fight to remember I am God's child. It's a fight to remember His power is working through me. So how to fight, how do we fight spiritual amnesia, spiritual forgetfulness? This should be right in the bottom of your service program notes. So don't worry. If you're like me, you're going to try and write everything down. Don't sweat it. We got you covered. But first of all, intentionally think about what God has done. It's what we see Asaph doing in verse number 12. He's just being intentional. He's intentionally thinking about what God has done. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. If you then that are raised with Christ, if you're saved, he says, seek, be intentional, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Paul is telling the church at Colossians, hey, intentionally set your mind on him. Intentionally think about what God has done for you. To set your mind on that, it takes intentionality. You might have to set a reminder on your phone that says, remember what God has done for you. 
That's a, that might be a good practice for you. For some of us, it might literally be, be pulling out our calendar, scheduling an appointment with ourselves, making it so it's non-negotiable, and all we're going to do is think about and remember all that God has done for me. Whatever you're going to do, be intentional. Be intentional about thinking what God has done for you. Thankfulness often leads to thankfulness. Take some time today to think about all that God has done for you. Next, thank God on a regular basis for all his marvelous works. Psalm 9-1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I, I, I'm really good at asking, and oftentimes I'm really bad at saying thank you. We need to, to, to intentionally say, God, just thank you. <laughs> God, thank you. Lord, this week it's easy to say, God, I need you to fix my car. But God, thank you for allowing me to have a friend who could help me out in this situation. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Regularly thank God. If you want to fight spiritual amnesia, get really good at telling God thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for letting me get up on the right side of the dirt this morning. Thank you that I have breath to breathe. God, thank you for my church. God, thank you for all that you have done for me. Next, rehearse God's blessings to your family and those around you. Rehearse God's blessing. Tell other people what God has done. In Joshua chapter number four, the children of Israel, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. It had been an event they were looking forward to for hundreds of years, but there was a problem, the Jordan River. And so what God did was he literally stopped the Jordan River. The water kept flowing, but it just kept piling up, the Bible tells us, so that they could clear away, so that they could cross the Jordan River on dry land. And here are these millions of people, they're walking across this dry river, and when they all got across, God told them, get some rocks, set up a memorial. Set up some stones so that you guys can remember what I did here. And when your kids look at that pile of rocks and they go, Dad, what's that all about? You can rehearse to them what God has done for you. On a regular basis, rehearse to your family. Parents, tell your kids when God answers your prayer. Tell your kids from a young age, help them understand that God is real, that God's power is working on your behalf. Remind them of all the things that you're reminding yourself about. When you get to your connection group, hey, let's take some time for prayer requests, yes, but let's share answers to prayer. Well, God's done something in your life, share that with other people. Let them be encouraged. Let them remember, yeah, God is good. That's awesome. Praise God for that. Rehearse God's blessings to your family and those around you. Next, keep a record of what God has done for you. God knows that we are forgetful, so he gives us memorials. Let's set up some memorials for ourselves in our own lives. Keep a record of what God has done for you. I am so bad at this. My wife really helps me because we have uh, on our phone, we have this list of all our prayer requests that we share together. And she's really good at the bottom of that list, keeping track of all the answers to prayer that God has done this year. And so as we're praying through that list together, you get to the bottom and you see all the things that God has done for us that year. And it's amazing what that does as you're praying. It stirs your heart up with faith. It says, yeah, God, look what you did before. You can take care of this now. Keep a record, just something that, some way you can remind yourself of how God has come through for you. I know a lot of people, they'll journal on a regular basis just to remind themselves of all that God has done. The point isn't, you have to do it my way. We're not going to get legalistic about it. But the point is, have a way. What is a memorial for you in your life? How do you remember what God has done? Have a way where you can record what God has done so you can look back on that and let your heart be stirred with faith. Maybe it's having a place in your home where you can visibly write and put up answers to prayer. Whatever it is, record what God has done. So you can look back on that and let your heart be stirred with faith. Lastly, the last way we can fight spiritual amnesia is prioritize local church ordinances. Jesus gave us two, baptism 
which is a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection, in which we as a church remember that, and then we celebrate with that person. And then he gave us communion, which is a time that we set aside to remember Jesus shed his blood and allowed his body to be broken for our sins. We need to prioritize that. The reason Jesus said, do this to remember me, is because he knew <laughs> you're probably going to forget. <laughs> you study the history of the people of God, and if there's one thing we're good at, it's forgetting. And so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Why? So you can remember. So we as a church can corporately come together and pause in the regular rhythms of our lives and come together and remind ourselves and each other, God died for us. We could celebrate his salvation. We could celebrate he saved this brother or sister. We could celebrate the fact that he shed his blood, he shed his blood for us. Families, parents, prioritize that. Your kids need to see you prioritizing the local church ordinances. Other families in the church, they're going to be encouraged when they see you making that a priority. Hey, it's communion tonight. We're going to be there. Because we want to corporately remember that God has shed his blood for us. The ordinances are all about remembering and celebrating our salvation. So we see remembering past wonders. It ignites future faith. God has called us to be a memorial people. Let's live in remembrance of him. I want you to think about your own life for a moment. I, I, there's, there's more people in this room. I, I couldn't know how everybody would struggle. I would forget, <laughs> pun intended. God knows your struggles, though. You know how you struggle. Think about your own life and how enriched your heart and your soul would be if you were just over and over and over again overwhelmed by the goodness and the greatness and the power of God. Think about how your own life would be just different. The things that you used to get so stressed out about. And I, and I get it. I'm right there with you. I, it was my week. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's funny. God says, okay, you're going to preach on this. Let me help you live it. <laughs> I, I get it. I understand the tension. But imagine how your life would be if what used to just stress you out, you could just give to the Lord. And instead of stress, you now just have this sense of peace and this sense of wonder and amazement and really a sense of anticipation for what God is going to do. Think about your own life and how different it would be if you were constantly overwhelmed by his goodness. A life that has faith for the future is a life that remembers what God did in the past. We're not getting stuck in the past. We're not dwelling in the past. But we do want to remember what God has done so that we can anticipate what he wants to do in the future. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, fly back, my soul, away from present turmoils to the grandeurs of history, the sublime deeds of Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. For he is the same today. And is ready even now to defend his servants as in the days of old. The point of remembering isn't just to remember the good old days. The point of remembering is so that we can remember God is just as powerful today. God is just as real today. God's power is just as potent today. And God wants to work in your life just as much today as he did back then. Remember so that your heart can be stirred with future faith. Remember that God has done makes your future exciting. So here's our takeaway. Really simple. Don't forget to remember. <laughs> Don't forget to remember. Fight that spiritual amnesia and remember all that God has done for you. Remembering past wonders ignites future faith. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.